What's up, Pilot Community? Welcome to the podcast. Our goal here is to help you become more effective so your church can become more effective. You know, we do that not only through the podcast, but through the Philo Conference, Philo Coaching, the Philo Book, I Love Jesus But I Hate Christmas, available on Amazon. And uh, we have a bunch of other digital resources from our past conferences available on our website. You know, it's difficult to believe that summer is winding down and the ministry season is ramping up already. I mean, where has the time gone? Uh, One thing about this time of the year, and if you're listening in real time, it's early August, it was around this time that I had my big Philo moment back in 2014. I was the floor manager for the Global Leadership Summit, and I had just sent Louis Giglio up on the stage for the closing session. And because it was the last session and I had nothing else to get ready for since it was my last day as a staff person, practically, at Willow Creek, I decided to, you know, just sit in the front row and listen to Louis's full talk. He talked about climbing the Matterhorn and the whole point of his message was that he didn't really know how to climb a mountain. He just knew how to take the next step right in front of him. And he had a guide who knew the way and that person knew how to make it to the top. So Louis's job was to just take the next step one at a time. And sitting there, you know, listening to Louis talk, I was wondering what's next for me. I didn't really have a plan for what to do after my job was done. But in that moment, I knew that while I didn't know how to make Philo a reality, it was something that I needed to head towards. And I could think of a couple next steps right in front of me that I could take on my way to the end goal. And so that's how the Philo journey began. And this past year, when the Global Leadership Summit was happening again, I had the chance to serve, and I found myself sitting in that exact seat, remembering that moment from seven years ago, and also reflecting on all that God's done in Philo, in my life, you know, since that day. And sometimes I reflect on what my life would look like without having followed God's call towards Philo. And while it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done, I definitely don't regret doing it. And There's no reason to think that God won't continue to show up in unexpected ways. And I'm not sure if anyone needs to hear that God wants to be a part of your life and is always available and ready to communicate with you. You know, it takes effort to listen to his voice. I mean, the only reason I heard it kind of sitting there was that I was sitting still long enough to to hear God speak to me through Louis Giglio, through my circumstances. And I mean, you don't need to be told this, but our world is pretty noisy. But it's so important for us to stop from time to time and give God a chance to speak. And maybe more than that, he's always speaking, but are we listening? Are we silent enough to hear his voice? Okay, hopefully it can be an encouragement to you. Here we go. A couple weeks ago, I was thinking about today's guest and I thought, I can't believe he's never been on the podcast. So I reached out to Jake Cody from Bayside Church and we scheduled it. So Jake's been a huge supporter of Philo through his years at Yamaha. And then uh, as a staff person at Bayside, he's taught a bunch of breakout classes for the Philo conference. And we had a really great conversation and I think you'll enjoy it. Here it is. How's it going, Jake? Hey, everybody. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) We've got the cool mics uh, on this podcast. So we're feeling pretty uh, DJ low end. Welcome to Radio Philo. There know. you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, uh, good to see you. It's been, it feels like it's been a while. You're usually at the Philo Conference, yeah. but the last couple of years have been a little bit of a different thing. So I've seen you on video a lot, but uh, <laughs> yeah. haven't seen you in person. I know. It's, it's good to reconnect a little bit. Yeah. So one of the things I usually like to think about with the guests is like where we first met. And I got to believe it was probably at a Gurus of Tech conference or something Probably. In that zone. I know. I was... I've either went to Willow right around that time or right before that or something. And yeah, 
think that was yeah. maybe the Scott Ragsdale connection. Maybe yeah, it or, could be. Yeah, or Dan Craig. I know he yeah. was doing those. Oh gosh, the the now the Wow events. The, what was the Wow? We, we called it Watts Worship Arts Watts, Technology Summit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was good times. Yeah, but I think when I think of you, the first it's not the first time we met, but there are a couple things that I think of uh, when I think of you. One is when I quit my job at Willow Creek, I had no idea what I was going to do. And just as time went on, I started thinking, okay, I got to do this thing, Philo like. I didn't know what I was going to call it. And you were the first person I called. Mm. Uh, you were working at Yamaha at the time. We'll mm-hmm. get into the your backstory, but I said I, I remember where I was standing or sitting, no like way. talking to Jake Cody. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. Do you think Yamaha would be into you know helping? And you're like, absolutely. Oh, dude. And I was like, all right, let's keep moving forward. That's crazy. I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize I was the first one. Yeah. I feel so honored. I mean, I was having conversations with people, but it was, yeah, I felt like I need to reach out to the people that have been helping at the time the gurus of tech thing move forward. And mm. it's like, I'm calling Jake. Dude. So so that's one one thing. The other one is, and we were just texting about this maybe a couple months ago that I was having a memory about the night after the very first Philo event, which was in Chicago, mm. I said, hey, we're going to this Italian restaurant. Whoever wants to come, I'm buying, you know, celebrate this first one. And you were one of the, there were like eight or 10 people around a table. Andrew Stone was one of them, mm-hmm. I remember. I just, mm-hmm. like that moment was so, so much fun, so simple in a way, but just like, hey, we did this thing and and yeah. now we're eating amazing food together. Yeah, oh, it was, it was I remember that night for sure. It was, I don't know what it is about after a long load in or a long day of show and you just go out and have a meal together with the crew, the team, you know, it's, yeah, uh, it was great. And I learned so much about your team too. I mean, I, was, I remember we were talking with Joan about like her son going, picking a college and. Oh, you know, right. Sure. This, it was just, I don't know. It was cool. You really get to meet, meet the people behind the people. Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, just, it's crazy to think that that was 2015. So what was that, six years ago? Yeah. <laughs> Over half a decade. Oh, my goodness. How is it possible? Right. <laughs> anyway, so all that to say, thanks for being on the podcast. And I would love to have you tell people what it is you do and then how you got to this place. So you're just story leading up to sure. today. So right now, you'll well, you'll, we'll hear more about this, I guess, as we get into it. But right now, I'm uh, the senior production manager at Bayside Church uh, out of Sacramento. And what that entails is overseeing production for all of the campuses. So some of our campuses have staff, multiple staff. Some of them have a contractor. Some of them, it's just a volunteer. They're all all different stages. And so I, I really spend most of my time working with the production managers, the like highest level production manager of each campus. And just working with them, helping them with systems, processes, kind of coaching them, you know, as they're working through whatever challenges or successes that they've got with their leadership, trying to give them just some encouragement. And then also from a high level, we have these things called IPAs for all of our teams. And uh, essentially it's like just a list of standards that we kind of adhere to. And some things are imperative, like we have to do it. Some things are preferences. And then the other... The A is for abstain, so definitely don't do this. Got and so it, okay. We, we're in the process of actually like blowing those up and redoing them right now. And, and uh, but yeah, so. IPA, I was thinking maybe beer? Yeah, well, you know, we, we, uh, 
a Bayside there's brewery. Some, there's some things. You know, we'll, we'll all go get some chocolate milk every once in a while, too. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's what, this is what you're doing currently. currently. Mm-hmm. So, like, how did you end up Man, at Bayside? I grew or up. the whole thing, yeah. No, totally. I grew up at a pretty large church in San Jose, California, Bay Area. And I just grew up doing everything from lyrics on the overhead projector to follow spots and plays and sound and uh, started mixing at local clubs around the area. And then I was mixing at a worship conference in Dallas and Yamaha sponsored it and connected with them, got hired on at Yamaha. And I was there marketing, house of worship marketing manager for about 10 years. Oh, wow. And, uh, and that's when I would do things like Philo or Gurus or whatever. Um, it was great. Yamaha really has an affinity for the church quote unquote market. And they get that this isn't just about selling more gear to churches. I mean, at the end of the day, the bead counters like that, but right. an educated customer uh, who knows how to use the product is going to be a happier customer and have a better result. And so most of my job was going out and training people and helping them understand how to like mix better, use the product better. And so I didn't have any sales quotas or anything. I just would go okay. to conferences or trade shows and just help people get better at what they do. And, uh, and I loved it. And honestly, the, a big reason or the, the primary reason why I left is I had got married and wanted to get off the road and kind of set up home base. And my family is all up in the Sacramento area. And so okay. when my wife and I talked about what that change might look like, it was, it made perfect sense. Move to Sacramento, connect with Bayside. I had known Lee and Aaron and Lincoln and all those guys for years. And uh, they happened to, after about a year of being here volunteering, they happened to have a need and jumped right in. Okay. And you, have you always been doing the the role that you've you've been in most recently? Yeah, I mean, when in my my full-time capacity, yeah, I would do yeah. I would come up and contract for Christmases or events or, you know, I'd volunteer on the weekends, but yeah. I okay. was doing this. Yeah, cool. So, one of the things I know about Bayside just from a distance is that it seems like crazy over there. Like just I don't mean this in a negative way, but like <laughs> lots of last-minute decisions. A lot of like, hey, let's, you know, we're just going to change how we're doing things and in, and we're the tomorrow is happening. <laughs> yeah. and, and hey, we want to do this really big thing. And okay, now we want to make it even bigger. And, you know, just like that there's feels like things don't ever slow down. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that I would love for us to be talking about is how you've managed that in your own personal life. And as a team leader, like, how do you, yeah, how do you survive in that kind of environment? Because I would say, like from a distance, even like take Transformation Church as an example in Tulsa, they're doing some crazy, amazing stuff. And my first thought as an old guy is like, wow, that looks exhausting. And so like with crazy, amazing stuff comes just like, yeah, it's a lot of work. So yeah, how do you, how mm. do you survive it? That's a great question. And <laughs> yeah, the, we have a saying, blessed are the flexible for they will not be broken. And uh, so <laughs> we... Um, Sometimes it's great and sometimes, yeah, it can be really difficult. And I think getting in leadership's head and kind of understanding how their brain works has been a great way for me to kind of lead our team and encourage them and and help them understand. But our lead pastor, he's an optimizer. He's the quintessential like, oh, we got this idea. Great. How do we make it better? And there, there are pros to cons with every kind of, you know, way to think about all this stuff. And right. the pros is like somebody comes up with a great idea, he's down. So it's a very best idea wins culture. Where that can have challenges is when someone has a great idea and it really is going to like 
make the impact better, and it's just late to the game. And right. so it's it's one of those, like, well, why would we not do it if it's a better idea? And it just juggling that tension. So it's a it's just part of the culture, and I think we've tried really hard to lead leadership in letting us spend some extra funds and resources on building systems that are flexible so that we can totally redo the stage plot in less than a day. We can load in and out in a day. Like everything's on motors, everything's tour style. And so kind of leaning into the like, okay, this is what it takes to make that happen instead of no, we can't do that right now. Sure. Um, And for the most part, like leadership's been great when we come back with that, like, great, we thought about it. This is going to take a lot of work, but here's how we can make it happen. It's now my job and like our other production managers who lead their team's jobs to lead our teams and protect them. And there are some times when we say like, hey, our our guys have worked six days in a row already. We need to bring in an outside crew to make this happen. And we don't always get it right. Sometimes we think, yeah, this is what it'll take to get done. And then we're way wrong. And we end up working an 18-hour day and it's or two 18-hour or whatever. Then great. Then we go back and we debrief it. And okay, here's how we get better next time. But leadership often and not their fault they shouldn't have to know but often doesn't know what they're asking when they ask sure it, for sure know? so it's up to us as leaders to give them an accurate picture okay this is what it's going to take this is what's going to cost we've got this event next week if we spend all night the next three days making this happen we need to outsource this other event that's happening or, or whatever you know right um, right so just kind of being solution oriented sure Yeah, I mean, I think it's so easy, especially thinking about the people that are on a team at a campus, you know, like so far from leadership that it's hard for them to, you know, get their brain in a place like what is the leader thinking about? Mm. And I think it's real easy to just get like, what the heck or why are they working us so hard? And real easy to get negative in those spaces. And so, yeah, I would imagine that in your position, you're doing a lot of like vision casting for your leaders. Totally. Yeah, and it's, you know, you got to, you got to be good at getting your leaders to try and speak in outcomes. So like a perfect example of this is, and I actually use this in my Philo classes here, but we took over a new church and I'll try and make this short, but we took over a new church and they were a much older, much quieter worship experience. And if you know Bayside, it's, you know, we're kind of loud and rambunctious. And so we thought we were doing good. We thought we were kind of gradually, slowly fading in and started off quiet and moved up and, it, we kept getting more and more complaints and it got to the point where leadership pulled uh, me and our worship leader aside and said, okay, we need it to be quieter. We need it to be at 85 dB and that's what it's going to be. And it was, we had to lead up in that situation and really get them instead of micromanaging to speak in outcomes and okay, like, what are you going for? What's the experience we're trying to make? Like, who are we accommodating? You know, what's, right. what's the vision? And then once we understood that oh, okay, it's it's the older people that are complaining and it's the ones with hearing aids. And what we ended up finding out is that so the hearing aids, so it was obviously the bass. Bass doesn't do well with hearing aids. But the sure. actual complaint was that the lights were in their eyes. It wasn't even so much <laughs> the volume. So, but once Can we you got, turn the lights down to 85 dB? Exactly. Please? Like yeah. we, we could have mixed quiet, but if we still had the strobes, it wouldn't have, we would have been shooting ourselves in the foot. So honestly, once we got the holistic picture of here's the kind of experience we're trying to make, we want it to be comfortable for all these people and we're, and it's taking a longer to lead them up, then it was great. So we're going to change how we program lights. We're going to change how we mix. We're going to change the instrumentation on stage. And it was a, we were able to do what we're great at, which is right. creating a more mellow worship experience 
it totally worked and people loved it. And within a year, we were back to full volume, full lights, everything, because the people felt heard. They got a chance to hear vision from leadership and they we earned their trust essentially. So sure, yeah. but we wouldn't have got there if we just did full on band and lights and everything and just mixed at 85. Right, so, right. So I think yeah. it's, it's uh, helpful to try and get leadership to speak in outcomes. And then all you're going to get is a little bit of vision. You're just going to get a, we want it to be a comfortable worship experience or we want it to be whatever. Right. And you've got to extrapolate that and then communicate that vision to your team in a much broader picture. Yeah. And I think you're, you're having to build trust with the leader above you mm-hmm. and you're trying to build trust with your team below you. Like right. you, your team needs to trust that you're going to bat for them your leader needs to know that you're going to bat for him for or them. her, you yeah. know? So yeah, it's like an interesting dynamic of kind of being stuck in the middle there. That's a great point. Trust is such a big deal. And I think that is brilliant leadership right there. The number one priority <laughs> should be lear- earning the trust of your boss and your peer, your direct reports. Your team, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would push back on certain things with my leader, mm-hmm. but at the end of the conversation, Usually I'm like, whatever you think is the right thing to do, I'm just like, here's the reality. Mm -hmm. And you decide. If you say, yeah, okay, maybe that's too uh, aggressive, so we'll back down. Or if you say, no, we have to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. And I, you know, to get to a place where the leader knows that I'm going to do it full on. I'm going to go for it. Totally. And then my team needs to know that I'm sticking up for them Mm -hmm. as much as I can. But it's also, you know, it's not about whether or not I'm comfortable or they're comfortable. It's like, we're doing the thing that God's calling us to. Mm. And you need to trust that I'm I'm doing it. Totally. Um, doing my best. Yeah. Yeah, no, like one of the things I really try and do when there's a when it's a tough decision is to always try and come back with options. And one of the options might be no, we don't do it, but always have a like and if we do do it, here's how we could accomplish it, you know, and right, right. And uh, and leadership 99% of the time, I mean, I guess there's some bad leaders out there, but most of the time, mm-hmm. especially in a church, leaders don't want their teams burnt out and dead and spouses pissed off that, you know, they're working a 12-hour day and whatever. Like, right. they, want, they want the team to be healthy. So I think giving them the, like, I'm on your team, here's how we can do this while keeping the team healthy and encouraged, give them, give them the ammunition to make that call, you know. And I think, too, the uh, I know for me in earlier days, I would not share those options. Mm. And so I would just maybe either grudgingly say yes or say (laughs) no immediately and then be told you're going to do it anyway. Right. (laughs) Um, But I carried the weight of responsibility to be like, well, we got to figure out how to do this without spending any more money or (laughs) more time or whatever. Instead of saying, hey, your idea is amazing. And here's how I think we could do it. Mm. Let's decide how we're doing it. So good. Which is like, that's the responsibility the leader needs to help carry. Mm. It's not my job to decide how much money we're willing to spend or or how many people we're willing to have work all night or whatever. I totally. think it, just, it's, it makes sense to let the leader know uh, what they're asking. Yeah. And part of it is you said it earlier, like we're there because we know what it takes. They should not have to know what it takes. Right. And it's up to us to say, hey, what, you know, to share, uh, you know, what it, what it actually means. Totally. I think tech people as a general rule do a disservice to their senior leaders by not sharing the load of responsibility. Mm. And so then what ends up happening is that the senior leader gets a bad rap for mm-hmm. making poor decisions when the reality is that the tech leader hasn't shared the, the ramifications of that yeah. decision ahead of time. And so- 
yeah, I just think, yeah, no wonder everybody's spouse hates the senior leader because <laughs> you're not you're not helping him make great decisions right. in the area of production. Oh, so good. So good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've got to have our leaders back and we've got to trust them and trust like, I mean, here's the thing, and this, this isn't for everybody, but I would say it's a, a huge majority of us. Most of the time, our leaders or our creative directors, they are idea people. And yeah. what if the sky wasn't blue anymore? And what if, <laughs> you know, cars could fly? And honestly, most of the time, I think, a lot of us tech guys are, and tech girls, we are not that way. We are vision executors. And, and, and that I fall into that camp for sure. Like, sure. I'm, not, I'm not thinking about what if the sky wasn't blue, but that's an idea. Okay, well, let me figure out how to do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's okay. There's a point, I think, and I, don't, I went through this when I was younger, but like, I would always get down on myself that I wasn't coming up with these ideas. But once you realize your gifting and your skill set and where you fall in the like, project process i think you can lean into that and like bring the ideas let's figure out how to make it happen and like lean into that section of the role that that part of your role and not hold a grudge yeah because i think just like we're not idea people maybe the idea people aren't executors totally like they have no idea how to make their idea a reality right and that's what that's what we're there for Mm -hmm. and so yeah figuring out how to play your role well I'm doing a little bit of writing about the blank page. Mm. When you're having to come up with an idea and what the role of the creative ideator is Mm -hmm. and the role of the tech person in that space. And I know for me, I was just like squashing ideas as they were coming Mm. out, you know, erasing them from the blank page. Yeah, can't (laughs) do that, won't do that, doesn't work, that's stupid. Right. And just coming up with, yeah, just figure out something else to do. You know, it's just that easy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the reality is for us tech people, we have to kind of, treat the ideas with care. Uh, I had a leader that would tell me that a lot, like a good idea is a precious thing. And Mm. so, yeah, how do we not squish them immediately? Totally. But then once they get developed, you know, maybe squish them then, but (laughs) not, not when they're, not when they're newborns. Totally. Well, and that's the thing, like there's no way to lose trust with your leader or your creative quicker than by just shooting down ideas, you know? Yeah. And even if, even if the idea is so crazy, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to do it. Like, let's do, let's say yes, and let's just workshop it a little bit. What if we, what if we did right. try and make the sky green? What, what, you know, what would that how look like? How would we like? do that? Yeah. What, what does that mean for the room? What other, how does that transition look? You know, I mean, and let the idea naturally either come to fruition or not and evaluate if it's a good idea. But we have these things called magic wand meetings. And, um, and I learned this from Liz Bohannon, actually. Okay. And uh, we were on a, she's, I thought she was brilliant by sharing this, but the, to make it really short, an improv comedy, when two actors are, are kind of going, doing a skit, you know, they're, they're improvising. They don't know exactly where it's going to go, but they have this rule where like, you don't say no, you say like, yes, and, and basically yeah. it leaves the, it leaves the plot open and leaves the story open for it to go wherever it's going to go. And so we've tried to adopt that in these magic wand meetings where, we'll have a creative meeting for Christmas or whatever it is. And yeah, our creatives are like jumping in with all these wild ideas, 99% (laughs) of them just totally unrealistic, unfeasible, whatever. But we say, yes, and what if the sky was green and then it turned to red and then a car flew in and, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We might get all the way down the the road with that and we're not changing the color of the sky, the car's not flying, but someone had this great idea about 
you know, pastor riding a unicycle and then, okay, great. We're going to figure that out. And, you know, it ends up being this great moment. And all to say is you don't even, we never know what the ideas will lead to if we squash them too early, but building, you know, letting our leaders feel like we've got their back and we're, we want to do this. And there, it's a safe place for them to share ideas, keeps the, keeps the communication open, keeps the trust open. And when yeah. we do come back and say, actually, we've really tried to figure this out and we couldn't, they know we were on their team. They know we tried. They know we're not just right, being right. sticks in the mud. Yeah. Going back a little bit to the the craziness of the, you know, just the pace of life at, at Bayside. Like mm-hmm. how have you, or maybe you haven't figured it out. <laughs> I'm just making an <laughs> assumption that you have, uh, you know, just like establishing boundaries mm-hmm. or figuring out how to have a life outside of, of the job. I mean, I think if you didn't try, you would probably be there 24 seven. Oh yeah. And so how do you, uh, I was going to say, is there like a silver bullet or is it just a discipline or yeah, just trying to grab time when you can or. Yeah. Gosh, I think it's, it's probably all of those. I mean, and I think it's a little bit life stage too. Like to be, to be totally honest, when I was single and I was working, Mm. my job was like, that was really the, primary area of responsibility in my life and yeah yeah, I had hobbies and everything but the job that was the only thing that demanded my time and attention so it was really easy to let that fill up most of my like um attention grabbing time you know yeah um and then you get married and then oh all of a sudden my wife is requiring attention and that's a that's (laughs) a shift of priorities and uh I hope to be a dad one day and I'm sure that's only going to you know, my, where I've got to segment my time and, and my attention, it, everything just, uh, these new things are deservedly taking up more bandwidth. And so work needs to take up less bandwidth. I, and I think this is a, a general principle in work and, and ministry. And maybe I'm going to stick my foot in my mouth here. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> single, I know, right? Yeah. Let's yeah. see what happens. This yeah. Thursday, whatever. <laughs> I think, and I, I say this because I've gone through this, single people, just yeah, have a lot more bandwidth to to give. And I think especially in like my younger years, God really used me in big ways because I was available. Right. And now that I'm married and I'm less available, I think God's still using me, but it's in a different way. And now I'm less like boots on the ground doing the all night things and more trying to orchestrate teams so that they can do that. And I'm not, don't hear me saying that single people are the only people that can be boots on the ground and, <laughs> right. and we should take advantage of all the single people's time and right. availability. That's certainly not what I'm saying, but I think there is a dynamic there. And honestly, a conversation that I have with my guys more often than not, the ones who are single and the ones who just got married is we need to build healthy like habits so that one, you can go home to your wife and for the single people, like, yeah, it's okay that you're working late, but we need to that's not always going to be the case. And I need you to like learn how to say no well. And so I think saying no well is probably one of the big, one of the biggest things people can do because it's a lot of times they don't feel like they have an option. Mama boss asked me to do this. I just got to do it. But, you know, speaking up because sometimes they always don't know that you've worked six days in a row and you're not going to have your Sabbath if you, you know, if you work tomorrow and try and be proactive with the schedule and see, you know, anticipate things. So I think, yeah, anyway, for, so I learned that lesson of, uh, yeah, prioritizing. And so I'm, I try and be a good leader and help my guys kind of learn to prioritize that and speak up for them. And then 
I think you just set up principles too. So like for me, with yeah. our guys, like we always, we always take a Sabbath. Like there's no, there's no acceptable situation in which we don't take at least one day off in a one week period. It's one of the 10 commandments and it's just you know, other people don't necessarily feel the need to do that. And I, I'm not here to judge, but I think for me and our team, like it's just a big deal. And so we've like created this culture of having each other's back. And so now it's at the point, like I've got, like my team will tell me, Hey, we noticed that you haven't had a day off. Like you need to, you need to go. And like, these are guys that report to me and they're saying that, or like they'll to their, their peers, you know, Emma hasn't had a day off in six days. Like we're going to cover you while you take a day off. Like, so we care for each other that way. Yeah. Learning how to say no. Well, you know, here's what it will take to get done. And especially with our values of having a day off or whatever, but then ministry, you know, it's like, you got to be okay right. with seasons of feast and famine and Christmas. We're going to go hard and we are going to go yeah. real hard, but we always give our guys two weeks dark after Christmas. Okay. So, um, you know, coming on the weekend, but it's like, we're not doing any set changes. We're not doing any special events. Like y'all figure it out. And, uh, it's, there have been years where we've had to fight for that more than others, but it's been, you know, it's just one of those, like, You've got to, you have to make the time and you can't expect leadership to figure that out for you. Yeah. The former CEO of General Electric, Mm -hmm. Jack Welch, he wrote a book called Winning, (laughs) Mm. which I would recommend actually. It was very, a great book to read. But he, there's a section in there about life balance, work life balance. Mm. And the thing I remember him saying was that your boss wants you to have a a healthy work life balance. Mm but they want you to figure it out. Sure. Like your boss isn't gonna figure it out for you. Right. And so I think if you're single, if you're married, if you got kids, whatever your life situation is, you need to figure out what that means uh, for you to like not go crazy and help educate your boss on what that looks like. Mm -hmm. But I think, I, I mean, whoever your boss is, Jake, I'm guessing I guarantee he wants you or she wants you to, like totally. be in it for the long haul and not be frying yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, but they're not holding your hand to like, yeah. oh, how come, you know, you know, maybe you should have a hobby. Let's like figure that out <laughs> so that, you know, get you out of the office or whatever. Right. You got to do it yourself. And there will always be work to be done. Like that's just, yeah. and it's not the sign of an unhealthy organization. It's, there will just, you will never not have things to do. So go home and let it wait till tomorrow, you know? And, and if you can't meet your deadlines, great. You got to communicate that. But yeah, that's really great. So take responsibility. Yeah, and I think too, I had a guy that worked for me that was single and I can remember like leaving at 7 p.m., let's say. Mm. And I like, that was late for me. Like, uh, you know, I missed some dinner or whatever, I'm sure. But this single guy was like knee deep in some project. Like he was going at it. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, you know, just getting this done. And I'm like, well, we'll go home. Mm. Like do it tomorrow or something. He's like, well... I'm just going to go home and watch TV. So, you know, might as well get some work done. Totally. And I can remember thinking that like, but the difference is you're choosing to watch TV instead of like, you start pulling those long hours. Now it's kind of expected that you can have that much output all the time. Sure. And like pulling back the reins on people's expectations after you've been, you know, working 50% too many hours. Right. You know, it's like, um, yeah, you can't you can't just say no out of the blue because now you have to suddenly have boundaries. Like it just takes a long time to back down from that. Totally. Yeah. That's a great point. And a a good leader needs to be able to recognize that and, you know, yeah. Okay. You're going to work late tonight, but you're not coming in 
next week or something. Yeah. yeah. Just thinking about all, all the people that I've led over the years. And, you know, there were some that I was just like, go home, dude. Like, <laughs> it's not worth it. And they wouldn't. Right. And, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, okay, I'm not your mom. I'm not your daddy. Totally. Like, you got to live this life yourself. But as long as I felt like I was communicating, like, no one's asking this from you. Right. You know, that at a certain point, that was all I could do. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, gosh, I... I had to learn that lesson a really hard way too. <laughs> Your life is going to get to the point where you have to make that decision, you know, and it'll, and it's a, it's an interruption for sure to prioritize the other things in your life. And either you're, uh, you're going to have a family member that gets sick and, or you're going to have a spouse or you're going to have something. And, uh, for you single people out there listening, like work hard and let, let God use you and do amazing things. But, you know, you're, be ready for when other priorities come and, yeah. and be willing to let those things take a B priority. Yeah, yeah. So, so currently we were talking uh, before we hit record just about some changes that are happening in your in your life yeah. at church. So maybe there are changes happening in your life. Uh, you're just married, so <laughs> yeah. that's a change. But uh, no, I'm thinking about like the church is kind of going through a reorganization and a potential on the horizon, like leadership change and... Mm-hmm. And just the uncertainty that comes with that. I would love to maybe, I don't know what percentage of people listening to this are in kind of a reorg or, you know, no. some kind of thing where like what, you know, something's changing and what do I do about it? Totally. Yeah. Maybe just kind of what's going on and how are you doing yeah. uh, with it? No, I, uh, you know, we were talking before this and and I kind of asked for your feedback because I wanted this to be helpful for people. And I think my heart in this you know, when I, when I tell you everybody what's going on, no, my heart is I want to share some of our dirty laundry because I want you guys to feel encouraged and like you're not alone for some, some of you that might be going through the same thing. And then uh, maybe I can share some of the things that I'm doing to stay healthy. And, and Todd, I'd love your feedback and, and things that you know that I could be doing to stay healthy. And yeah, so any organization, whether secular or church, uh, at some point goes through a like massive reorg culture change. Um, and that's usually when the founding person, the CEO or the original pastor or whatever, who had all the vision to start the company leaves and new leadership is taking over. And so we're, we are fully submerged in that process right now. Our, our founding pastor, Ray's awesome guy, huge vision, huge like heart for the church is trying to set up a succession plan and, um, bringing in new leaders and to try and yeah keep this thing going. And the new leaders also have vision and ways they want to run things. And obviously they're not all the same. And so the staff usually end up kind of being a part of some murky years as, <laughs> you know, to put it lightly. And so again, I, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. Uh, our leaders are great and they are, they are being spirit led and trying to do this the best they can. But there are of course just things that happen. And so one of the big things for us right now is that we are reevaluating our model. And so we've been centrally managed for the longest time, as in I manage all of the production guys and we we play a zone defense. We load balance and we, you know, send teams out to different campuses as needed for a weekend or maybe for, for a load in or Christmas or whatever. And we're at the point now where these campuses are growing and they've all got uh, our model is every campus has their own pastor. And so these now these pastors of these campuses have vision and they want to like meet their own objectives and do, you know, some of their own things. 
And it's uh, so there's some friction there when the central, quote unquote, wants to do one thing and the individual campuses feel called to do other things. So we're moving to a decentralized model where the campuses have a little bit more autonomy. So obviously, for a guy like me who manages the central team, a big question comes up of like, okay, well, great. Well, how do we, what do we do with him? So we're in those conversations right now and it's two ways. And I'm really thankful that leadership's asking me, you know, for my input and what am I passionate about and what should I do? But at the same time, it's a little bit like, well, I'm not sure what my future here is. And, and am I going to be doing production? Or am I going to be doing children's ministry? You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I exaggerate, of course, but, you know, it's, um, it's something that I'm trying to see as an opportunity for God to kind of stretch me and grow me and um, use me beyond ways that I had kind of thought or imagined. And uh, so it's been, it's been a season. I mean, so literally a month ago, I met with our senior leaders and they, they kind of filled me in on, okay, the, the central model's going away and we want you to stay, and, but we don't have like, we don't know where we want to put you yet. We're going to put you at campus and let's just start the conversation. So it's been, it's been interesting and a, uh, an opportunity for me to really kind of, uh, at least as far as work goes, kind of walk around in the wilderness a little bit and just mm, yeah. pray and ask for God's daily manna and some guidance and, you know, okay, God, what's, this door is closing. Where's the next door that's opening? And I really, not to get too into it, but a few years ago, um, I got a, I divorced my ex-wife and it got, it was really, I was really depressed. I mean, multiple affairs that she had had and Mm. there was substance abuse. I mean, it it got really gnarly and uh, I was, I was really depressed and got through that. And now, like you said, I just got married again two months ago and this, my wife now, Kayla, she's awesome. And it's, it was, I was like over emotional at that wedding because it was like, man, mm. I just went through this crazy thing, but I hung on to God's promises and, and like, I'm in a the season of like being able to witness firsthand God's promises for fulfilled. And so I feel like there's some things that I learned in that desert time that this, this job change is light years easier in comparison. <laughs> um, I'd, I'll take this any day over a divorce. But there are some principles that I think I learned in that massive desert mm. that I'm like so thankful for that I'm able to apply here now. And it's, you know, I'm I'm taking this whole thing open-handed. Okay, God, you've given me a renewed passion for work-life balance and, and family dynamics and, you know, the lessons that I learned in that and and how to how to be okay in the uneasy seasons and and I'm applying that now. And it's it's been great because it's been able to give me an elevated perspective and, and kind of try and put myself where leadership is and mm. realize that this is not about me. This isn't a personal attack on me. This is a, they're trying to take this massive organization, besides a huge church and get it, set us up for success for the next 20 years. And uh, so it's been, it's been tough. It's, there's been a lot of nights where I'm frustrated and I vent with my wife about it and our, our small group. And, but then I always come back to this, like, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, these are good, good people that are trying to be spirit led. And so that's what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> you were talking about trusting in God, relying on uh, the daily manna. Mm. And there's something about the a situation like you're in where there's some uncertainty, like what is tomorrow going to look like that forces us into kind of a God, what do you have for me today? Mm. That I don't think we, I don't, I don't live that way. You know, normally I don't, I'm not that tuned into what does God want me to do right now? Mm. 
you know, usually I'm thinking about it, you know, like in my life. Sure, you know? yeah. Um, and I think there's something that's really healthy about the kind of micro relationship. Mm. If, I don't even know if that's the right term, but, you know, just like it, a more minute version of my relationship with God and what is what does he want me to do in this moment? Well, it, it, you um, think about like, you know, we're supposed to be like children coming to him and I don't have any kids, but, you know, an infant or a toddler, you know, like they're not thinking about a week from now or a year from now. They're thinking right. about, I'm hungry. I want food now. <laughs> yeah. I just pooped my diaper. Poopy diaper. I need yeah. this figured out now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, there's a part of me that does wonder, you know, like if I was reading this and um, Oswald Chambers wrote this, but he, I'll summarize it, but he talks about how, you know, the Bible uses clouds as the like an image or a visual for God. And when the clouds come in and things get dark, when we go through trials or we go through hard seasons, it's actually not about something that God wants us to learn. It's actually usually something that God wants us to forget. And when clouds come and things get dark, you know, we've kind of, we've set up these, all these artificial little support systems, whether it's a person or it's finances or it's, you know, my house or whatever it is. And when the cloud comes in and things get darker, you kind of, you can't really see these support systems that are so far away. And you, it really mm. leaves you at, at ultimately with the one thing that you can see, which is right in front of you, which is God. And it, like getting your, getting your like security and your dependence on just God alone. And so I kind of feel like, at least for me in this season, it's a, you know, it's a, an opportunity for me to just not rely on what I do, you know, for validation and, and peace and like, okay, God, what's, what do you got in store for me here? And yeah, just before uh, we started this podcast, I was in the car and talking to a really old friend. She and I, we volunteered together at Kensington Church, which um, in Michigan, where I was on staff uh, eventually for 11 years, we mm. were like stage team, you know, volunteers together. Or maybe wow. she was stage team. I was like mixing front of house. Mm. A side note, we were meeting in a middle school cafetorium, so it mm. had a stage, but it was the cafeteria essentially. Yeah. And it had a, a curtain that we would open at the beginning of every service. Mm. And the way she could tell what was going on from backstage was she had a periscope, uh, like a children's no uh, way. teenage mutant ninja turtle periscope <laughs> that she would use to look, you know, poke around, you know, the the outside edge of the curtain to That's like see amazing. what was happening. <laughs> uh, Who needs calm when you got periscopes? Right. Yeah, we had no comms. There were. Uh, I don't think we had any intercoms. That's uh, so But funny. anyway, this is like a total side note. But the that church, she's still there, and they're going through uh, leadership change, and you know, huge question marks. And it's so great just hearing her perspective because it's a little bit like yours. Like, hey, this is where God has me, and you know, comfortable with who you know who He created me to be, and I'm just going to do. I'm going to add value and mm. not this isn't personal. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, do my best for the organization um, while I can. Wow. And what does God have for me in it? You know, what can I learn about myself? Sure. Um, and so, yeah, such a healthy perspective that I think is, especially when you're right in the middle of it. Oh, it's, yeah. It's really hard to have. I love that. How can I just add value? What do I have to do? And wherever I'm at, I'm just going to add value. And I, honestly, there's been a part of me that's like, well, I wasn't scheduled to mix or anything this weekend. Should I just go be a greeter? You know, I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I don't, I, not that that's a bad job. I just like, how do I, in this murky season, yeah, how do I do this right? How do I honor God, honor my mm -hmm. leadership, 
stay encouraged. That honestly, that's such a such a huge thing. Like I've never met anyone that quit their job because they were so encouraged about it. You know, right? And how do I? So like, what do I got to do to find a source of encouragement? You know, and like, lean on the promises of God. Talk to close friends, whatever. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I think the leaning on God's promises. I think Harvey Carey uh, was a a speaker. He's been to Philo. Mm -hmm. He was at one of the gurus of tech way way back in the day, and he he taught a message about how David. uh, So this is uh, King David delighted himself in the Lord mm. is, the, is the verse that he mm-hmm. spoke on. And just the idea that he's running from Saul, he's trapped in a cave, like nobody's encouraging him at all. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, this is my job to like get the encouragement that I need from God. Wow. Um, and so for us, you know, we have the benefit of we can read his word. Totally. Uh, there are tons of books that we can, you know, can expand on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about, David in a cave, yeah, it's probably got nothing to go on yeah. except, you know, just the his history with, you know, God showing up. Totally. But yeah. That, I mean, it comes back to a little bit the, like we were saying earlier, like having boundaries or a work-life balance, like it's on you. Yeah. And I think the situation that you're in, it's maybe more obvious than like the average person who's not going through a giant transition that, mm. you know, they need to be filled, you know, totally. figure out ways to do that. I think we're so. I'll speak for myself. Uh, going through the motions most days that I don't think about I, about it that I need it mm. until then. You know, I do need it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why am I doing this more often? Oh man. Well, there's something to be said about like daily being in the word. And this is just, I feel like so cheesy because this is like the stereotypical <laughs> super Christian. <laughs> I love it. Things love that you it. say, but like, yeah, man. I you know I learned. I just feel like you go through tragedy and you decide, okay, I'm going to like actually practice what every, all of my youth pastors and everybody told me growing up. And, (laughs) but like it works, like you get in the word (laughs) and like, you've got all of this great nuggets of just gold and then crap hits the fan and you're like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to take my thoughts captive. Why am I just thinking yeah. about that right now? You know? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's oh, so man. funny. I like I have a similar story uh, like years ago. I was when I led the production team at Willow, I I would meet with the ministry leaders that mm-hmm. had production support and just like uh, like once a month just hey, do a check-in, how are things in your room? Like sure. what can I how can I support you? And uh, one of the people, we were both kind of in a transitional point and yeah, for some reason, I decided I was going to read the Bible every day. Mm. Um, so weird. Yeah, so strange. <laughs> and I, yeah, the, the, like you said it, it works. I, like this thing that our pastors have been telling us, right. like it's, actu- it's a real thing, like to have it, you know, be on your mind yeah. every day. Yeah, like- These guys, and e- they know what they're talking about. Oh my gosh. Uh, and so with this person that I would meet with, I'm like, you know what? I told her like, it works. This reading the Bible thing, it's an actual thing that you should do. Oh, yeah. Man. So now I'm uh, I'm actually reading through the Bible in a year. So I'm using oh, nice. the version mm-hmm. Bible app and I've never done it before, but I'm sticking with it. And it's, you know, some of it is just like, why am I reading this? Yeah. You know, genealogies or whatever. Yeah, but, like, but for the Leviticus yeah, and numbers. It, yeah, for the most part, just having it in your brain every day mm-hmm. is so much better than whatever news we're watching or oh my gosh. podcast yeah. you're listening to or or whatever. Except for the Philo podcast. That one should oh, also that, yeah, be Yeah, definitely. That's, yeah. Do your that's, Devo and then Philo podcast. 
<laughs> reading your Bible, <laughs> Bible podcast. Yeah, you you get the idea. You decide what order those go yeah, in. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know this uh, from being recently married. There's something about that relationship that is a picture of who God is mm. that you haven't realized before. Yeah. When you start, when you have kids, that becomes a thing. You're like, oh gosh, this my relationship with God. Now I have new insights into mm. what that means to be a child of God. Then the going through difficult times or murky waters or whatever, you yeah. also see uh, you know, a, a side of God that you would not otherwise see. Totally. And so uh, so my, I had a brother who passed away years and years ago, 25 plus years ago. Mm. And that was a hard time. And the, you know, there's a lot, you know, it's a tragic time in life, but there are things that I, you know, God showed up for me in ways that I, that define my relationship with him that I would not have otherwise experienced. Mm. And so I, I would be the first to say, would I rather my brother were still here? Absolutely. Yeah. But I can be thankful for what, you know, what God brought me through because it's, it's affected positively my life since Absolutely. then. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the, the situation you're in, which I love kind of your perspective, it's like you have, you're making choices to like, what God, God, what can you show me? How mm. can I show up in this moment instead of just being angry? Yeah. No, it, our, this is not the most profound phrase, but it, it just rings so true in my mind. Like we can't, we can't always control uh, what happens to us, but we can always control how we respond to it, you know? Yeah. And I can, I can either choose to be offended and a victim and like these guys don't know how they're crap together and, you know, they should have a <laughs> fully fledged plan out and, or I can just, you know what, God, what are you showing me in this, you know? And yeah. the way these people process and the way they do things is not the way I would do it, but I, there's probably something for me to learn in this and, uh, you know, take me, take me through it, God. Yeah. So. so not to uh, get super heavy here, but there's a, a book by a gentleman named Viktor Frankl mm. called A Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. And he wrote it. He's a concentration camp survivor. Mm. So that's where it gets heavy. Yeah. But he he watched people in the concentration camp, some young people, some old people, just watching, you know, what, what would delineate somebody who would survive versus somebody that couldn't survive right. uh, in that situation. And he, his whole book is about this idea that you can do almost any, you can do anything to me. And the, at a certain point, the only thing I have control over is how I'm responding. Mm, wow. And so, yeah, the, I think none of us are in that kind of a situation, sure. but it definitely opens the eyes to like, okay, I could, how I'm responding in every situation could be different. Totally. Or it's in my control. I'm not the victim. Mm. I have control over my response. Yeah. Um, I love and that. And I think we, a lot of times we, we say, well, I don't have control over that person asking for this mm. and focusing on that instead of like, okay, how am I going to respond to this? Totally. And yeah. I think it really, that sort of covers everything we've talked about, you know, from leading up to leading down to, um, you know, going through reorgs. Oh, Yeah. No, it's everything is an opportunity if you allow yourself to see it that way. And at some point, I mean, yeah, you know what? Maybe it's, it's an unhealthy place and you need to leave. And or maybe God's just closing that door and you, you know, great. I'm not saying to not, but everything is an opportunity to learn something and yeah. uh, try and try and elevate your perspective enough to see it through the macro lens as as much as you can. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. So good. Thanks for being a part of our podcast today. This is. Uh, Good stuff. This is great. 
yeah, I, I really hope, uh, you know, some of you guys out there feel encouraged by this. And uh, seriously, if if there's anything I can do to be more encouraging, like hit me up on Instagram or something. Like, I'd love to be an encourager to you guys. Yeah, there. thanks. What a great conversation with Jake. I mean, I think there are probably a lot of us that can kind of relate to, you know, the unknown, things changing, uh, work-related mayhem. Hopefully that's been helpful for you just to hear like just how Jake is wrestling through his situation. I love that in his current season, he's talking about the idea of daily manna, you know, God providing each day, not more than you need beyond the day, just today. And I mean... I don't think I like that. I mean, I I like to know kind of the future or have, you know, a week's worth of ideas. But, you know, God says he'll provide for us each day. And so, yeah, this is how God works. And just great to be reminded of that. Also, the idea of building trust with your boss and with your team. You know, they need to be able to trust that you have their back. And this could be tough when your boss might be asking a lot from your team. And your team needs to know that you're fighting for them and their needs. Your boss also needs to know that you're looking out for his or her best interests. So, you know, no wonder it's so difficult to be a technical artist in the local church leading teams and being led and leading up and all the different ways of leading. You know, it's like being stuck in the middle, uh, almost kind of like the trash compactor from A New Hope, you know, it's like just kind of squeezing in on you. You got needs on both sides and yeah, sometimes it feels like you can get pinched. So, Basically, the lesson is the next time you feel like you're getting squeezed from both sides, just yell into your uh, to your intercom, shut down all the garbage mashes on the detention level a few times, and maybe that'll help, I'd, but probably not. Anyway, for those of you interested in growing your leadership skills, we've got another Philo cohort coming up, and this one's led by our own Aubrey Wentz, one of our hosts for the Philo Conference, and she's been the leader of the all-female cohort that we've been running, and so she's about to start her third one. So you can check out our website, philo.org slash coaching for all the details on her cohort. And you can join the wait list for the other cohorts that will be coming around. You'll be the first to know and the first to be able to sign up for those. And if you're looking for ways to invest in your team this coming ministry season, maybe consider getting a few copies of the Philo book, I Love Jesus But I Hate Christmas, for those people on your team. There are great discussion questions at the end of each chapter, and it'll help you get talking about what matters to your team at your church? Like, how do you view production? Uh, They're just great conversation starters. It's a great way to get everybody on the same page, which is so key when you're trying to build a culture on your team. Uh, You can either buy the book on Amazon, or if you go to our website, you can order 10 or more at a discounted price. So check out phyla.org slash book, and there are links to all the places you can get those. We're working on a few new ideas here in the Philo world. So To keep up to date with everything Philo, you can subscribe to this podcast. We're here to help you become more effective. It's not necessarily that we're trying to sell stuff to you. Just we're trying to make the church tech better. And if that's you, yeah, we just want to help you. So you can subscribe to this podcast. You can go to our show notes where you can subscribe to our newsletter. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Philo Community and on Twitter at at Philo Conference. So thanks for listening. If this has been beneficial to you, we'd love to hear from you. So send us an email at philopodcast at philo.org. All right. See you next time.